Hey everyone, welcome to Pieces of You, a show about life through the lens of four fierce and resilient women who lost their moms too damn soon. Each episode will feature stories to inspire hope, healing, and connection. Because if we work together, we can make the broken better. Hey everyone, this is Sarah here, and I will be your host for today's episode. We are going to be talking about the concept of hyper-independence. This episode contains a content warning related to the topic of mother loss. Please check the show notes for a more detailed description. Before we dive in, quick check-in. I know we all just talked for a really long time, but for our listeners, how's everyone doing today? Feeling good. I'm ready to talk about this. It's something I've thought a lot about over the years. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to put a name to something I felt for so long. I just didn't attach a name to it. So I think that's what I love about this podcast is actually putting words to our feelings. Totally. I'm excited to dig into that more. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this, actually. I'm like not nervous. I don't know why, but I'm like, yep. Something I've experienced for so long. Let's do it. (laughs) Pro on the Mm -hmm. subject. I'm still nervous, Mm -hmm. but less nervous than I was when we (laughs) first got on this call almost an hour ago. Here we are. Mm -hmm. So today we will be discussing, as I said, the concept of hyper-independence, aka fierce independence, aka badass boss bitch, whatever you want to call it. In fact, when we first started brainstorming ideas for the podcast, the concept of fierceness came up a lot, possibly by me. I'd been fixated on this quality in myself and others for quite some time. Same with resilience, which we actually also ended up including in the script for the intro. This idea that there is a shared understanding amongst motherless daughters of what it means to be truly independent, not by choice, but out of necessity to survive and to learn how to be in this world without the person who brought us into it. It's crazy when I just stop and actually think about that. And there's a part of me that will always be proud and cherish this part of myself, the scrappy, I've got this part. And yet as I grow older and begin to more fully realize the impact of my mom's death on my identity and the way I am in the world, I'm able to see that what I once perceived as fierce can actually be self-destructive at times and how it can prevent me from connecting with others and receiving the support that I actually need. I know I'm not alone in this experience. We've all talked about this before. I'll be so curious to hear from our listeners on this one, but in the meantime, can some of you share a little bit about your experience with this concept of hyper-independence and how it shows up for you? So where I go in my head is back to high school and right after my mom died and the secondary losses I experienced, my dad really checking out my grandparents um, no longer living nearby. And I talked about in, in one of our episodes previously that I really didn't have a community. And, you know, of course I didn't know that I was becoming so self-reliant, but I had to, and I just did it because it was necessary. And like you mentioned, Sarah, this thing that I really back in that, at that time was so proud of, and it was a quality about myself that I felt was amazing. I came to realize as I got 
older really caused pain in in a lot of my relationships because I wasn't able to re- rely on others in a way that is okay and safe and necessary for connection. Uh, it's sad to look back at that time and unconsciously I had no idea what I was doing. It was just all about survival, right? Makes me sad for that girl. Yeah. I have a lot of similar feelings to that. I feel really sad and I still feel really sad for myself sometimes because I still have this. I still have this and it still like plagues me. And I specifically want to use the word it plagues me because it it is very self-destructive sometimes. And funnily enough, again, uh, very recently I've been talking with my therapist about this. This has come up in some of our recent sessions. And I recently just said to her, I'm so exhausted. And I just recently come to the realization that I am so almost prematurely exhausted a lot about anything in life. I just feel exhausted. Mm -hmm. And it's a specific exhaustion from spending so many years being hyper-independent and having to do everything by myself. And then eventually getting to a point in relationships, friendships, romantic, where, you know, I almost like forced myself to do everything. And it, it, it hindered my, it hinders currently, I mean, um, unless I'm actively working on it, it hinders my ability to be vulnerable. People have taken advantage of it before. I've become a caretaker in other relationships. I've been taken advantage of. I've had a lot of distrust for people. And I'm tired. I'm really exhausted. <laughs> it is exhausting. Like this idea that as humans, we're meant to live in community and to have this healthy interdependence, you know, which we talked about in the intimate relationships episode. But Christine, you were saying earlier that was the ability to even form that was disrupted because of our losses. And being vulnerable isn't just scary, it's life-threatening, like is how it feels at times. And so to really honor and validate that that is real, that internal experience, I think is super important. But the reality is we do need people. And even though they weren't there when we needed them or the person we needed most wasn't there, when we needed them, we somehow have to convince ourselves that it's okay to try and uh, try again. And I'm still working at that, I know. How about for you, Shadia? Yeah, I, similar to Christine, I used to see it as like one of my best qualities. And I liked being known as somebody who had it together, didn't require a lot from anybody. And from the outside world, it just appeared like I I was great and everybody can depend on me because I'm dependable I'm, and I won't let you down. And I still have that in me and I, I can't let that go. But I used to see it as like the biggest positive, like, what are your top three characteristics? You know, I'm mm-hmm. hyper independent. And 
probably in the last five to 10 years, I've let that like almost ego go and be like, it's not, doesn't actually serve me or everyone else in the way that I, that I think it is serving everyone, you know, like it definitely has held back some of my, my, like romantically, my friendships, just in general, I feel like it has not allowed me to be open and I guess like truly vulnerable with people. I'm glad that I finally realized this over time. I know that I have a long way to go and I am natural type A. So I feel like part of that is innately in me. And then a part of it is because of my loss of what's happened. So it's hard to find that balance for me now, but I'm glad that I'm aware of it, I guess. That's like the biggest thing for me. We're calling it hyper-independence, which I think is actually, Christine, you, did you suggest that wording originally? It might've been Aaron, but I I don't know. We were trying to speak of it in a... We're using fierce and mm-hmm. really came to hyper independence as like the best way to describe it. Um, yeah, I because think it's not fierce can be like an awesome quality, right? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Aaron, but ahead. then and then we were like toxic independence, but we didn't want to pathologize it. Yeah, even though right. I mean it can be detrimental, we wanted to remain neutral, and I think we landed on hyper independence as a very neutral, non judgmental uh, term for it. And I hadn't even used that, like I, like you were saying, Shadi, in the beginning, like so much of what's great about this show for me is like putting words to my experience. And also that's what therapy does, but it's like to put a label that feels, you know, it's like, yeah, it's not glorifying it. And it's also not completely shaming it. It's saying, okay, this is just what it is. Like, because of my life circumstances, because of what happened, I adapted in this way. I adapted to my environment and this is how it served. It did serve a very important function at one point in time. But what you're saying, Shadia, and this is something I find myself in constant, it seems like struggle with, is like questioning whether it's still serving me in each particular situation. And most prominently right now is, as we were just talking about, planning a wedding, planning my wedding. I feel this need to do it on my own. I don't want any help. Help feels threatening. And yet I'm also fully aware that that's irrational. Like there's a part of me that's like, Sarah, that's like, honestly, I've I've developed a relationship with myself where I talk to myself as though I'm my own mother sometimes. And I'll say like, oh, honey, like, because that's like what I would want to hear in a way. I think that's what my mom would say to me is like, really, like, you don't have to do all this on your own. But deep down, I know it's out of fear and terror of being let down and disappointed and hurt in a way that it it just, it brings all of that back up from the past. And so I'm curious, I, I imagine it's a balancing act for all of us trying to negotiate, you know, in different situations, like, do I push myself to like, like, connect with people more? Like, is this a problem or is this helping? How do you guys navigate that? Like, or do you, does it even feel like an issue in that same way? I really want to say something related to the fact where we all spent so much of our lives thinking that it was an asset. And I think that it's 
really important that we acknowledge the societal influence on that and probably like everybody's influence on that. Like telling someone who's experienced such great trauma and loss that they're so strong, good for them, using language and the societal expectation of, I mean, even in our capitalistic culture, not related to loss, we have this huge focus on independence and every man for himself and all of these things. And I really think that that's important to address that. I don't think that it was necessarily us inherently thinking that it was the best quality about us. I really think that it's important to address like those societal standards and probably hearing that language coming from our friends and our family, especially as teenagers and children. I think that makes a huge impact on how we take those as personality traits and develop that into our adult lives. I just really think that that's important to address. A hundred percent. That's a lot of what influences my balancing act is I'm like, why do I think that I have to do this by myself? Like I catch myself and I'm like, is it because like I'm expected to? Who is expecting me to do this? Why am I allowing this expectation to bring me down, to stop me from being vulnerable? That's part of what I think about when I try to do that balancing act of, I can do this by myself. I can handle this. But do I want to do that anymore? Aaron, like you're saying, even when those expectations aren't even there, I still feel them. Like Mm -hmm. I still feel like it is my job, like you're saying, because that was a quality that was praised Mm -hmm. in me, you know, that I was told this is something that's really special about you and unique. Like you had this thing happen to you and you made it through, like you are really strong. And so, yes, there's this sense that I have, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. That's who I have to live up to be. And if I'm not that person, who am I? Like who, what are people even going to think of me? But what's interesting is like, even as, you know, a motherless daughter and you, you know, Aaron, you and I co-facilitate a group together and we send out monthly emails. And the first thing I, one of us will write in addressing the group is like, hello, you like fierce, strong, resilient, you know, something like that, souls, women, as a message of empowerment. Mm -hmm. And yet again, there's this Mm -hmm. duality, whatever you want to call it, of it's like, you know, there's no, (laughs) there's no like, I don't want to say winning here, but it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like a catch 22. Like, what do you do? Well, and yes, so yes, I I I laughed a little bit when you brought that up because yes, uh, we do that. And even within this community of motherless daughters that we all create with each other, we use those words. However, again, duality, I think that it's important to also acknowledge someone's humanity and vulnerability. Like you're so fierce, but also it's okay if you want to be vulnerable. You are strong. But it's but you can be strong and you can cry. You can be strong and you can ask for help. And mm-hmm. I think that I think that we do that in our groups of creating vulnerable spaces. Mm. But that duality needs to exist of strength and fierceness and independence, like any person who grows up into adulthood, 
but also acknowledging the deep hurt and the deep trauma that made you that way almost. Mm-hmm. Like that facilitated this path of hyper or toxic independence. So yeah, I think that duality exists. Like, I mean, it's fine to acknowledge someone as resilient and strong and how you've overcome. But at the same time, you need to create space to acknowledge someone's humanity and their vulnerability um, and not make that their entire being, their entire personality. I think that that can be really dangerous, especially if we're talking about early loss, which all of us experience. You know, we were teenagers, we were kids, we're still learning how to do everything. And then all of a sudden, this language, this, these expectations are thrust upon us as kids. Mm-hmm. And they shouldn't have been because we were kids. I want to circle back to what Aaron was touching on with, you know, culturally, how we have, we're, we're, how we set expectations for children at a young age. You know, even as I parented my babies, this expectation that immediately they're in a crib separate from me when for nine months they were inside of me. And that didn't work for me, right? And I did get to the point with mothering my babies where I'm like, they're they're actually not supposed to be independent yet. This is a concept that I don't understand in our culture. And I know that it works for some people. God bless you. It didn't for me. I And I don't feel like as humans, it's a natural thing to expect our very young ones to be independent from us so early. I distinctly remember when I was 15, 16, um, there were women kind of on the periphery of my life that told me multiple times how resilient I was. And that was like a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Yes, I was. I was so amazing. I was so resilient. Mm -hmm. And to what you know, Sarah and Aaron have both already said, I just want to reiterate, yes, I was resilient. Yes, I am resilient. And I really should have been given space to be vulnerable and to express my pain, express my grief, and be told that I can rely on others in that process. And really the message instead that was sent was, you are so resilient. You are doing this keep on keeping on, shut it down like you are, right? You know, I mean, that that's really the message that was sent. And that's what I carried with me. I'm going to do this all on my own. I'm going to be badass. Look at me. Then it, it completely impacted all of my relationships going forward. Like Shadia too, it has shifted just recently for me. And I think it's like the good. people who were saying those things to me, they did not mean harm by saying that. I mean, those are those are positive things to hear, right? It's not like they were saying other things, <laughs> but it's like I valued those people so much and looked up to them as role models, as mother figures, as whatever. And so when they're saying this to you, it's very, very gratifying and like and it makes you feel good. So you don't want to let them down. Also, I like I didn't want to let them down by being like. I remember hearing the term strong, 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 so much. And I am strong. That's a fact. I agree with that. But when you have that constantly in your back of your mind, like, I need to be strong. People think I'm strong and I'm going to act strong. You feel like you cannot be anything else or you're going to let them down. And that's the worst feeling. 
Again, I always try to look from the outside perspective to thinking about, you know, our listeners who are listening, whether it's like a family friend or anybody that who I'm speaking about, it's like they didn't know anything different. They thought it was a good thing that they're saying that, right? So like I think our role in saying this is like what would be more helpful? Like yes, you can say whoever is strong, but in addition here's something else that you could add to that. You know, I I feel like that's kind of our role here is trying to make it better for the next generation. I agree, Shadia, um, especially with that last part. And I think that it's also important to understand that the people that were telling us that, people who loved us, we looked up to, a lot of them family members, friends, family friends throughout the years, they didn't mean harm by that, obviously. I like, and they are good qualities to have, you know, for people to have that um, the resilience, the fierceness, the independence. Absolutely, they are good qualities. But there's also something to remember in terms of maybe like their own inability to be vulnerable and what they were taught and any sort of like, generational trauma that comes with that. And I I guess I am specifically talking within family systems, like what's modeled for us and what was modeled for them. And so how they learned to express feelings, how they learned that it's good to be hyper-independent or these are great things. Uh, Don't be vulnerable. Don't be, you know, shut it down. Those things can be generational traits within a family structure And I think that it's really important to hold a lot of grace and a lot of compassion for that. I am saying this with grace and compassion, but it's important to acknowledge that. It's important to acknowledge that a lot of those things are said because because people don't know any better or they don't feel comfortable being vulnerable, even within themselves um, or with their spouse about this trauma, about this loss. So then modeling it for us as children or for whoever, not even just us, um, I think that's important to acknowledge um, in terms of that modeling, how that can be generational. Considering too, that maybe it's something that they wanted to hear, that they never got to hear. And so one thing that, this is a little off topic, but um, my dad would say to me so much growing up was, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you all the time, like when I would do nothing. And it got to the point where it it felt meaningless in a way, which is sad. Not anymore, but at the time it was so frequent. But I, I learned later he said that because his dad never said that to him. So I wonder too, like you're saying, Aaron, like generationally, like how much does our own families like trauma or just emotional, you know, experiences or lack thereof when they're a child, they don't have much control over like, it just becomes a part of their identity. And now as adults, we're trying to navigate, like, is this something we want to hold on to? And like how fiercely we've talked already a lot about like when it's helpful, when it's a problem. I'm curious more because everyone's been saying it's impacted their relationships, but you know, to talk more about like how it's even impacted your relationships And I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but I just, these are all things to be thinking about uh, for our listeners as well. If, if you could change this quality about yourself, would you? And to what extent? 
I'm looking back to when it became so detrimental to me and my now ex-husband in our marriage. You know, I just, I think it really prevented us from being, well, there are a lot of factors here, right? But this is one of the things that played into us being really, truly intimately connected because of my insistence on taking it all on. And if I didn't, in my mind, I was a failure and I wasn't strong enough and I wasn't doing it the best. And, uh, you know, that's not a recipe for a healthy partnership. And it played out in, in just simple ways too, you guys. It's like, he would be like, can I carry the baby's seat up to the car for you before you leave? We have stairs up to our driveway. And I'd be like, no, no, I got it. I got, you know, I'm like, why, why can I not just let my partner care for me in that way? It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. There's actually no real value. No one's scoring me on like, okay, Christine did everything this morning and no one helped her. You know, it's ridiculous. It's It's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Like Aaron said that earlier too. It's just a perfect word for it. I will say what has shifted for me, honestly, is my divorce that I've gone through in the last, I guess it's, it's, I mean, the process has been over two years, but, or at least the active process. Right. But I got to a point where I truly could not do all of the things by myself. I needed support so badly, so desperately. And I surrendered to it. I surrendered to it. And I have so many amazing dear friends that just showed up and loved me. And I let them, (laughs) I let them in so many different ways with it being simple things like meals, um, an ear daily, an ear to listen to me, to hear me cry uh, so many tears. Sometimes I'm still self-conscious about that. Like, oh, I'm putting too much on other people. Oh, I'm not doing this all on my own. And then I realized, man, I feel so much closer to people now. I feel so much more connected to these people that were already dear to me, and we're even closer now. That's what it feels like to me. So did I answer your question? Yes, (laughs) yes. I'm just thinking it's like still hard to do though, you know? (laughs) Like you're like, even after Mm -hmm. experiencing the reward, you know, like pushing yourself to to make that Mm -hmm. connection and feeling the gratification it remains a challenge. And yet, mm, totally. We just got to keep going. Shadia, you look like you've got something to say. Yeah. <laughs> so many things you were saying, Christine. I'm like, yes, yes. The intimacy thing that you mentioned, Christine, really hits home with me because in my relationship with uh, my husband, I, in the same way that you were, where I got this. I can do this. I don't need your help. All all the things. And what I've realized is then I'm creating my own checklist in my head, which we all have to do to some point, but I am like just talking to myself and not talking to him. And then you think it just starts at that, right? Like we're not talking about logistics. Okay, fine. We're not talking logistics. It's fine. But when you start, you start cutting off communication because you're in your own head creating your own life, then you start cutting off communication overall. And even the smallest things create intimacy when you are communicating. And so for me, it takes a huge effort 
for me to, because I, I have so many things in my head. I sound like I'm crazy. I mean, I am a little. Um, for me to be like, to tell him, hey, I'm going to do this today. I'm going to go to Target and get this. And then it just brings up so much co- more conversation versus me just creating these stories and this life in my own head. I don't know if anybody else relates to that, but that's really come up to me this year. And then and then I just open up so much more. And you guys, you know, I'm not a shy person. That's not it. It's just, it's hard just to constantly be putting my words out there. It's just easier to keep them in sometimes. So you guys relate to that? <laughs> oh, so much, so much. I was thinking, I was reading someone's, like a bio of someone the other day, and they described themselves as having like, you could even tell in how they wrote it, you could hear kind of like the like smirk or you know whatnot in in the wording, but it was like, I have a very rich inner world. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, that resonates so deeply because it's wait, Christine, that was your friend. Or was that your friend, Shadia? Or was that your friend, Aaron? <laughs> I think it was oh. it was Aaron's friend. <laughs> Bethany. Bethany <laughs> said, yeah. I have a very like I don't know something inner world. She she was talking about how she's an introvert, and in her relationships with friends, sometimes she stru- she feels like she struggles to be there for people. Yes, because she because she, she has yeah she what did she say during the interview episode? Yeah, it was something like such a rich inner world or something. I yeah, which yeah. can like kind of cut her off, you know, from uh-huh. like connecting with people. It's yes. funny too. I just want to point out because now. My memory, it was very, you know, it's interesting to note how one can be so sure, you know, of something. <laughs> I thought I read it and it turned out to be something I heard and it was Aaron's friend. Mm-hmm. So that's just to speak to this entire podcast, which is based entirely on, <laughs> well, almost entirely on our memories, but that's okay because we're talking about our feelings in the here and now. So yes, this idea that like, I don't know. There seems to be a, a correlation though between like this hyper independent and having this super rich inner world, like you're saying. Well, I don't know if that's exactly yeah, what you're speaking to. Exactly. I've never put it to terms like that. But yeah, yeah. I feel like I have a world in my head. <laughs> we all do, but mine is very rich. And if I if I would just put more out to my relationships verbally, I know that they could grow so much more. You know, but I'm I'm like afraid of it or something. I yeah, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. I think of it as being like a sacred, um, like yeah, protecting myself too. Yeah, it's very precious. And like, I literally was just talking to my therapist about this a week ago because with wedding planning, it feels like people are putting ideas in my head. Is like the example. Like it feels like people are infiltrating my mind. That I think is an example though of of my kind of like not like maladapting, but how it's not serving me so much anymore. Like this kind of black and white thinking of it's like it's I'm still trying to figure it out. So I I can't even describe this on the podcast, but this idea that like I didn't want anyone putting ideas in my head unless I had a chance to like, unless I fully trusted the people whose ideas I was letting into my head. It's like almost like I didn't trust and I don't trust myself to, uh, I'm not sure enough in myself yet. And so having other people come in throws me off balance, like completely. So I, I work very hard to protect 
this inner world, but I'm still trying to figure out how to connect with people and let some people into it. Um, That last part that you just said, Sarah, I feel like I don't trust you like trying to put these ideas in my head. I think that's super related to hyper independence because I we 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 spend so many years, so much of our time doing things ourselves, figuring out for ourselves because of distrust. There's no one there to do it for us. We have to do it ourselves, whether yeah. they've died, whether they're estranged, whether our relation, you know, we spend so much time doing it ourselves. So eventually we just think we can't trust anybody except for ourselves. No, I have to figure it out for myself. I have to read it myself. I have to look at it for me to believe it. I have to, because your reality has been spent doing everything yourself, figuring it all out. Um, Yeah. You just don't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. You're always skeptical Mm -hmm. of it. I know that's been true for me. That's, that's like a huge part of what has hindered like my relationships is that like distrust distrust mm-hmm. of somebody being able to hold my vulnerability with care of being able to hold my trauma with care being able to hold me with care or even like tell me something that's true or like figure something out and that's the right way to do it it's most likely the wrong way to do it and i just have to do it myself that's how my mind thinks um i just think that's really interesting i really related to that mm. Yeah, this idea, it reminds me too of like control, mm-hmm. like this, con- I have a, a need to control situations a lot for similar reasons. You know, it's like they were so out of control at one point, like I just have to make sure that it go. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I need this to work out basically is constantly always doing damage control. And we've talked about that as well a lot. Was there anything else anyone wanted to share before we start to wrap up? I, I I had a bunch of like thoughts come into my head for some of these things. Like you really like mm-hmm. how does it impact your relationships? And if you could change mm-hmm. the quality, I think no, I wouldn't change the quality about myself because it is literally the only reason why I am where I am in my life right now, especially tangible things. Like I did everything for myself that was like a tangible thing. Things like um, like getting my own apartments, getting through college, um, being able to pay my bills, literal tangible things, teaching myself how to do things like taxes, apply for financial aid. I have had to do literally everything by myself. And there were probably times where I could have reached out for help. But again, that being told that you're so strong, that you're so resilient, and that these are qualities that are endearing and they're phenomenal traits, it just made me think that, well, this is, this is what everyone does, right? Everyone does things by themselves. And then I found out quite recently in the last couple of years that that's actually not true and it's strange people look at me kind of funny that I didn't have these things or I didn't reach out. And then that brings me back to feeling really sad, really sad for myself and like realizing that that wasn't normal and I'm still working on that and like trying to be proud of myself for doing these things, but not like hearing it from other people or only hearing those things of like, 
yep, you sure overcame a lot. Yep, you sure, yep, you did it. You did that. And it's like, well, yeah, but I shouldn't have had to. And I'm realizing that very recently. Mm-hmm. And it brings up a lot of mixed emotions for me. And I'm just now, I mean, it's like in, in my relationship with my current partner too, that's something that we work on all the time. Like my hyper-independence comes out and like he loves to provide acts of service. And that is triggering for me because I'm like, well, what do you think? I'm weak. Do you think I can't do this? Mm-hmm. And it's very, you know, it's it's constant. And which is, I think, part of the reason why I'm so exhausted lately is because I'm working through it. Um, so I don't think that I would change it about myself because I really don't know where I would be if I didn't take on those traits and be resilient. I'm probably in a really bad place. Um, but, but I would change some of the ways in which I got here, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, Aaron. So much of what you said just really resonated. I also think about it in terms of work and starting a nonprofit, for example, like it just, was one of those things where I'm like, I can do that. And you just do it. Right. I mean, there was no question in my mind, like, do I have skills to do that? No, probably not, but I'll figure it out. Right. I, I do think there's, there have been some aspects of it that are really positive. And actually there are a ton of women and, and men actually who experienced early loss that are very successful in our culture. You guys, mm. it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yes. Um, so I, I do I do see, yeah, there are some positive things that have come from it. But like you said, Aaron, like the the path to getting here, I would choose that to be different for sure. We talked about a lot. We talked about, well, first of all, that we just started using the term hyper independence. So please don't feel bad if you've never heard this. Like we literally are learning with you all. And so understanding where it came from, how it developed, how it is impacting us today, and the choices we have around it today are all things that we encourage you to think about and to, you know, process throughout your life, I guess, you know, because this is something I think everyone is going to have to juggle or balance at different points in their life. And having experienced a trauma like the early loss of our mothers gave us a common, like we now share this characteristic and there is a huge bond and it's very significant. There's something to be said about that. And So in that sense, I am so grateful to share this space with all of you and to our listeners for tuning in. And I invite you to, you know, to continue reflecting on your own level of independence in the world and how comfortable you feel asking for help or not asking for help. And please reach out to us uh, via social media um, if you ever have questions or things you want us to talk about on this show. Thank you for listening this week, everyone. And thank you to my incredible co-hosts for your insights and wisdom as always. 
Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. We release new content every other Tuesday. You can listen wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also find us at piecesofyoupodcast.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Pieces of You Podcast. If you like our pod, please rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We would so appreciate it. Take care of yourselves and remember, if we work together, I want to hear this from all of you guys. Turn on your mics. If we work together, we can make, we can make the broken. I was going to, sorry, I should have like prepped that better. Okay. I just want you guys to say better. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to do this over time. Take care of yourselves. And remember, if we work together, we can make the broken better. 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 That was better. We, we got there. <laughs> we did it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> when you feel like you need glue to put back pieces of you then we will work together to make the broken better when the wounds are fresh and new and you don't think that they'll heal soon you gotta stay open if you share your story it will get better feel like ever and you'll get stronger it's a journey we'll get through together so let us lift you up let us keep you grounded do you feel our love we'll make sure that you feel surrounded though the tears stream